Hey everyone, I'm your host Kara, and today we're going to talk about the father of logic, biology, political science and zoology, plus how his theory about the question what can expand your worldview and maybe send you into an existential crisis. So today let's argue about Aristotle's four causes and the purpose of your house. To relate him to last week's content, Aristotle was the student of Plato from the time he turned 18 to right around the time Plato died. And the rumours are he either moved away because he was upset with the teaching after Plato had passed away, or because he sensed the oncoming anti-Macedonian attitude in Athens. Now, don't worry about that, we'll come back to the Macedonian monarchy in a minute. But after that, he wrote a number of influential books, and his work greatly influenced a number of fields of study. And some of his more unbelievable theories actually weren't believed at the time and turned out to be true so he was really into biology basically and he discovered that octopuses would reproduce with their leg like the thing that they would swim with is also one of their reproductive organs and no one believed him they were like nah and then years later it turned out it was right so I mean go Aristotle when he was 41 he was invited to teach for the son of a king called Alexander and he was the successor to the Macedonian royalty so he would grow up to be Alexander the Great you know that king that conquered a load of places basically he taught Alexander for around 15 years and during which time he counseled the future king into conquering the eastern side of the world because despite being very wise, he was yet to see other groups of people as actually worthy of respect. Um, he thought of Persian people as barbarians to be controlled and not a unique culture to be learned from. So, I mean, minus points for Aristotle there, but, you know, after tutoring the king, he then led a pretty normal remainder of his life. And I hope you can sense the... Uh, sarcasm there. He started a school, he wrote six or seven books, made significant contributions to logic, metaphysics, mathematics, physics, biology, botany, ethics, politics, agriculture, medicine, dance and theatre. So just a regular couple of years, you know, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start with half of those things. And he did all of them. Anyway, after his tutee, the king, Alexander, was killed, the politics of Athens changed and not good for Aristotle. Uh, he was actually denounced by his city and he claimed that he was leaving so that he didn't have to watch Athens commit two sins against philosophy, the first being the trial and execution of Socrates. But he left anyway he died of natural causes and left in his will that he would like to be buried next to his wife so that's nice but he did have two so i do wonder which one he meant so first i want to know what the hell was in the water in ancient greece for all of these men to be doing the absolute most with their lives like plato last week with his like 70 talents was it and then aristotle making significant contributions to pretty much every genre of science that I know about. The second thing I want to talk about is how Aristotle relates and contradicts Plato's work. Uh, they both believed in duality, that form and matter were two separate and distinct things, but they really disagreed on how the world showed them to us. Plato, as we discussed last week, believed that form and matter exist in two separate worlds entirely, that matter from our world is just showing us glimpses of the world of forms, right? Well, 
Aristotle disagrees with that. In fact, there's a famous painting called The School of Athens that depicts just how polar the ideas of Plato and Aristotle were. I've posted the painting on my Instagram if you want to take a look at it while I discuss it for a minute, but there's a number of things that show the differences between Plato and Aristotle. Firstly, the obvious bit is their hand gestures. Plato is pointing above while Aristotle has his hand flat, showing that Plato believes there's another world above them, that the world of forms, and Aristotle believes in the duality of the world we live in, or in other words, realism. It's also hinted at by their books. Aristotle's book is flat and Plato's book is upwards, and even in the way they're walking, you can see just underneath his toga that Plato's right up on his toes and almost off the floor while Aristotle has his shoes on and both feet flat on the floor. The difference between student and teacher couldn't be more clear and Aristotle has his own theory about where things come from or how they should be explained. His findings are mostly rooted in physics and science so he likes to take observations and ask why. Almost like a modern day scientific process so Aristotle really was not a believer in things that you can't see or feel. A good way to imagine this is let's use a car example so you're driving along in the car or you're in the passenger seat and you see a car in the distance and it's coming towards you now you can see that car so you know it exists and you can't just swerve off the road and into it because it's there and you can physically see it so you can't just run off the road and hit it but once it's driven past you and it's no longer in your line of sight How do you know if it's still there? The only way to actually know is if you look in your mirrors and you can see it. So he says that things that you can't see, you can't prove are real. So Plato's whole theory of forms that we discussed last week, he's like, nah, don't like that. Can't see any of it. It's just like a feel good theory rather than a theory rooted in science. So a lot of his philosophical ideas are rooted in moving from something you can see and working backwards. A lot of his theories also discuss movement, but not the kind of movement like walking to the shops or driving a car like we just talked about. Aristotle means philosophical movement, maybe better understood by our current use of the word change. So the world around us is constantly changing and moving towards stillness. But I think one of the best ways to describe this is an egg timer. Right, so you all know what an egg timer looks like. You wind it up and then it counts down and it goes off when it's done. So you wind an egg timer to a minute, let's say. I don't know what you're timing for a minute. I tried to think of things, but anyway, a minute. And the egg timer does that little clicking noise that drives my dog absolutely crazy. Like literally, I actually can't use egg timers. I use this example, but I can't use egg timers because my dog just barks at it the whole time. So there's literally no point. I can never hear it ring anyway. But it ticks 60 times in the minute uh, for each second as it heads back towards the place that it started. So you wind it up and then it tick, 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 tick. And this is physical movement, right? Towards stillness. Now if you try and imagine this movement of the egg timer as theoretical changes in your life, so meeting a friend or starting a new hobby or maybe a pet passing away, they're all philosophical movements that bring us to a different place in our lives. So we move from one place to another Maybe you don't even move. Maybe you're lying in bed when something happens to you, but you're moving from one place in your life to another. So that's the sort of movement that Aristotle is talking about. Now that we've discussed that, 
it brings us to Aristotle's four causes or explanations for existence. And fundamentally, this is an analysis of changes in nature and the four different ways you can answer the question what. So the four causes are as follows. They are the material cause, the formal cause, the efficient cause and the final cause. So stay with me, stay with me. The material cause is the aspect of movement. This is the, this is how Aristotle defines it, okay? And I'll explain it in a second. The material cause is the aspect of movement that's designed by the material that composes the changing thing. I know. <laughs> Let's think of an example. Um, a wooden table, right? The material of the table is wood. Basically what the thing is question is made out of. So this answers the question... What is it made out of? And how does that affect how we experience it? So if the table, the wooden table, was made of sponge, then we wouldn't be able to put things on it. It wouldn't be very useful as a table, but it would be good for spilling drinks. And I do do that a lot. So maybe that's an idea, actually. Anyway, the next one is the formal cause. And it's the changed caused by arrangement. So for a wooden table, you might imagine a table with a top and four legs. And the formal cause is basically what the thing in question looks like. So how is it shaped? For example, if a table didn't have a flat top, if it was wonky, it wouldn't be very useful either. And it would definitely affect the way that we experience it. The efficient cause is factors external to the movement that cause the movement. For example, the wooden table's efficient cause would be the carpenter who created it. This is the cause of how the object came about. It answers the question, what caused the thing? Or simply, who made this? And the final cause is, well, it's literally the final cause. And it's the movement that takes the object towards purpose. For a table, that's to have things placed on it or to be used as you use a table. And it answers the question, what does this thing exist for? Or it can also be thought of as the object's purpose and what it's philosophically moving towards. There's that movement that we were talking about earlier. Now, let's put this into context of something that you've experienced today. Or maybe you're even there right now. We're going to talk about your house, right? Or maybe your apartment, wherever you sleep at night. So first, the material cause is what the thing's made out of. So wood and metal and glass and concrete and all sorts but it's also made of furniture and countertops and beds and all of these things make your home what it physically is so again the material cause is what the object is made out of next is the formal cause what does it look like maybe your home is tall or small maybe it has a garden or a pointed roof the formal cause is what the object looks like that one's pretty simple The efficient cause is what caused the object. Maybe a bricklayer made your house or a crane operator or a roof thatcher. The things that created and built your house are its efficient cause. And finally, the final cause. The thing that your house is philosophically moving towards, its purpose. So for objects that have a more complicated final cause as opposed to the egg timer or the table where purpose is pretty straightforward, for larger objects that have more impact, it's it's tough to clearly define a purpose. To apply it to the home example, the purpose of my home is a place to relax, enjoy time with family, hold all my precious items, and ultimately to sleep in. But because the house means so many things for so many different people, it's tough to see what it's moving towards and its true purpose. Some people might only see the house as a place to sleep, 
or maybe it's also your place of work. Maybe you have no emotional attachment to your house and maybe you cried when you moved out. The final cause of more complicated objects is uncertain and it's almost down to you. I mean, whatever you decide your house is for, however attached you are to it, that is totally down to you because no one can argue with a purpose that you see in something. I mean, unless it's totally ridiculous, like the purpose of your home is to grow trees. As, as long as it makes sense, it's it's down to you to decide. Why does this object exist? What purpose is it philosophically moving towards? So, why should we care about Aristotle's causes? And why did you just listen to me talk about them for 10 minutes? Well, firstly, <laughs> these causes form important questions about the world around us. What is matter actually made of? Why are chairs shaped like that? Could we build them better? Where does the world actually originate? What's the efficient cause of life? Do we actually exist in this world to work a nine to five and holiday for two weeks a year? Aristotle constantly questioned the world around him and learnt from it. So why do we not constantly do the same? Why are our public servants the worst treated by their employers? And why are we afraid of being replaced by machines when machines should make our lives easier? And why are 100 companies in this world responsible for 70% of carbon emissions? And secondly, it makes us question our own purpose in life. Have I been created with a final cause? And if so, what is it? Truth is, there's no way to know. And we could get through our whole life never knowing. <laughs> but that's kind of part of the fun. We're never going to know what our true purpose is, but we can try and find it. I like to think that a human's purpose is to experience the world as much as possible before we die, become wiser and pass that knowledge to generations after us. I think it's to make connections with other people, to love them as much as possible and to live as far intertwined with our society as possible. We have such a special human experience. Unlike the table or the house or even other animals, we kind of get to decide our purpose. What kind of impact we have on the world and the generations to come. And I guess we could build a couple houses on the way. <laughs> um, that's it. I hope you enjoyed listening to all the different ways you can ask what is that? Next time we're going to be talking about Plato's cave allegory and the Matrix, as in the film. Cue extreme backbend. Um, if you have a different opinion on a final cause, that's completely fine. In fact, I want to hear it. If you head over to my Twitter at ArgueAbout or Instagram at Let's Argue About Everything and tell me yourself, what is your final cause and what's your purpose in life? I want to hear it. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss a dose of fun philosophy. And I'll see you all next time.